0: Let's start with the word of prayer. Father, we ask for your help this evening as we look into your word. Thank you that we have this opportunity to come together, and we ask that as we consider the passage tonight, you would provide for us uh, encouragement and help and wisdom. And as we look into it, we ask that you would help us to understand it well and correctly. So we need your help in this, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're starting in Psalm 42 tonight, and uh, looking at Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. If you have your Bibles open to that passage, you'll notice that just before the psalm begins, it makes note that this is book two of the psalms. We're starting a a different section of the Psalms. Psalms are divided into five collections, if you would, of Psalms, and uh, we're beginning the first Psalm in the second section. There are a few things that are a little different about second section of Psalms than the first. Forty-one Psalms in the first section. They are Psalms of David, four four are unattributed, but perhaps they're all from David. In Book Two, uh, we have quite a few psalms by David as well. Eighteen of them are from David, but there begins a section here of eight psalms, or perhaps seven. Uh, one is unattributed, but it's likely that the eight are are assigned similarly to the sons of Korah. It's not entirely clear who who wrote this, but uh, they are they are attributed to the sons of Korah. We have another by by uh, Asaph and uh, one by Solomon and three that are unattributed in the second section of the Psalms. There's a little bit of a a difference between the first and the second in the way that the name of God is addressed. And uh, I'm going to take a moment to just ask you to go back and look at this very, very quickly To see see this distinction in the way that God is addressed. Let's look at Psalm 1, 2, and 3, and look for the first reference to God in the psalm. In Psalm 1, he is mentioned in verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And you'll notice the word Lord is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I'm sure in all of your translations it's a fairly uniform practice that when The word is translating the Hebrew word Yahweh. Uh, It's translated that way, L-O-R-D. And so in the first book, the first 41 Psalms, um, this word is very commonly used for God through this section, this, this, this book of the Psalms. Chapter, Psalm 2 verse uh, verse 2 against the lord and against his anointed the first reference to god capital l capital o capital r capital d that's the word yahweh psalm 3 lord how they have increased to trouble me chapter 4 chapter 4 is a little different in that it starts with uh, hear me when i call o god of my righteousness that's uh, the other word that another word that is commonly brought in, that's say, used of God in the psalms, and um, uh, Elohim is that word. Those two, Yahweh and Elohim, are the two most frequently used words that are describing God, but Elohim is much less used in the first book than Yahweh. And so we continue, and even in Psalm 4, we come to um, reference to the lord in verse 3 jehovah um verse just psalm 5 give ear to my words o lord psalm 6 o lord do not rebuke me in your anger for chap psalm 7 o lord my god and so on you can go through these psalms and look at the first reference or the generally the references to god in in these psalms and it is predominantly the word yahweh that's used now let's go to the psalm that we're beginning with in in book two, and you'll notice that the first reference to God is a little different. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God, not Lord, not Yahweh, but Elohim. Translated here, O God. Psalm forty three, vindicate me, O God. Psalm forty four. We have heard with our ears, O God. Uh, Psalm 45, verse 2, the first reference to God. The end of verse 2, therefore God has blessed you forever. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength. We might think that perhaps this is just uh, something associated with the different writer. We have this, these psalms at the beginning of um, book 2 by the sons of Korah. But in fact, that's not the case, we carry on, we find Psalms of David, uh, Psalm 51, Have mercy upon me, O God, Um, the goodness of God endures continually, Psalm 52. Even the Psalms of David begin with reference to Elohim rather than to Jehovah. It's not that the word Jehovah is not used in Book 2, or the word Elohim is not used in verse 1, but Predominantly, one is used in verse 1 and the other in, or in book 1 and the other in book 2. Um, Yahweh is used 278 times in the first 41 psalms, that is in book 1. Elohim only 48 times. Whereas in book 2, Elohim is used 195 times. And Yahweh is used only 27 times. So it's almost a reversal completely on the way that God is addressed. Now, I don't know that there's a lot I can draw from that in terms of significance, but I thought it's interesting to note that that's the case. Some have suggested that um, the collection of Psalms, that is, book two of the Psalms, was compiled at a later date. And as time went on, there was more awareness or concern or consideration given to not using the name Jehovah or not speaking the name Jehovah, Yahweh, uh, among the the Jewish religious leaders. And and so that might explain why it is less frequently used. We don't know for sure. It's interesting that, in fact, the two collections of psalms, Book 1 and Book 2, include one psalm that's repeated. I don't know if you've known that or noticed that before, but in fact, um, Psalm 14 is almost exactly the same as Psalm 53. Some very minor differences. But one of the differences is that when it is given in Psalm 42, the word Jehovah or Yahweh is used, whereas when it is repeated in Psalm 53, that is, in a couple of places, changed to the word Elohim. And so uh, there seems to be a conscious decision here, awareness to, to make that change between Book 1 and, and Book 2 in the Psalms. But let's move on and, and think a little bit about the sons of Korah. Who are the sons of Korah who wrote this the psalms we're considering tonight and, and others? uh particularly the immediately ones that are following and a few others as well. Uh, 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 19 makes reference to the sons of Korah. Korah was, uh, of course you might remember, one of the people who rebelled against Moses in the in the wilderness. He challenged the authority of Moses and the Lord struck him down with those that were following him in his rebellion. But there is a specific note made at the end of the book of Numbers that Korah's sons were not killed in that rebellion. Numbers 26 and verses 9 to 11 mentions that. And in 2 Chronicles chapter chapter 20, we have this reference to the sons of Korah. Verse 19, Then the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites, stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. The Children of the Korathites would be the sons of Korah. And we see here in this passage that um, um, as Jehoshaphat is making reforms or as the reforms are being made in the nation, these sons of Korah are involved in ministry and music to the Lord and praising the Lord with, with voices loud and high. So then it might make some sense that they were involved in some musical ministry in particular and in and, and composing psalms. Let's look specifically at these two psalms. These two psalms have long fascinated me. I've been intrigued by them for many uh, years because um, I've, I've wondered... Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, are they really two psalms, or are they one psalm? Or, or even are they three psalms? In fact, it's, it's, um, it's interesting as we look at these two psalms, that Psalm 43, it seems to be a continuation of Psalm 42. Uh, there is a number of reasons that we would say that, but the theme certainly continues. They are lament psalms sons of lament and uh, in them the psalmist is is grieving really he's he is uh, lamenting the fact that he seems to be far from God and so I've've if I was going to give them a little talk tonight a, a message it would be this when God is not near when God is not near you know I, I suspect that we might all, have times in our lives, have experienced times in our lives when we have felt some distance from God. Why is that? Why is it that we feel that God is not near? And yet that's certainly the case for the psalmist who wrote these words. He felt that that God is not near. And just the first couple of verses bring this out very emphatically. As the deer pants for the water brooks so pants my soul for you O oh god my soul thirsts for god for the living god when shall i come and appear before god the psalmist is distraught at this distance that he feels between himself and god so i want to think a little bit about that tonight and explore that just a bit Before we read the psalm, I want you to look at one other verse, and that's back in Joshua, first chapter of Joshua. As Moses' death was approaching, he called Joshua before the people and assured Joshua that God would be with him, that God would never leave him. We read about it in Deuteronomy 31, but it's repeated directly to Joshua by God at the beginning of the book of Joshua. As Joshua faces this monumental task of taking the people of Israel into the nation and, and confronted by the reality that there's going to be warfare, that he's going to have to do battle against the nations of the land and drive them out of the land, it's a daunting task. And on top of that, He has this rebellious group of people that he's to lead into the country. He would have been shaking, I'm sure, as he recognized that Moses was now gone and he had this responsibility before God. The Lord appears to him and the Lord says to him in Joshua 1 and verse 5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you. Or forsake you be strong and of good courage he says the promises of God's presence are precious promises to us Joshua knew that promise Joshua had the assurance of God's presence with him as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ we too have that promise that God was with us that he will not leave us or forsake us and yet I have had times in my life when I have felt that God is not near. Why is that? Times in my life when I have felt like the psalmist here, that there is some barrier, that there is some distance. I'd love to be closer to God, but something seems to be in the way. We don't know what the historical setting is for this particular psalm, but it would likely be that the writer of this psalm was distanced from the nation of Israel. Perhaps he was in exile. There is some evidence in the psalm that couldn't be interpreted to understand that he was perhaps in the very northern reaches of the land, near Mount Hermon. But those verses might also be interpreted to mean that he longs to be in those regions. So we're not sure, but he was apparently some distance away from the land of Israel, from the capital of Jerusalem, and he longed to be closer to the Lord. The historical setting is that the psalmist appears to have been some distance from his nation and from his people and from the city, the temple, and the fellowship of the people there. I mentioned that this Psalm, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, could be seen as one Psalm. Some some uh, commentaries suggest it is actually one writing. Others say that perhaps the psalmist wrote the Psalm 42 first, first, and then, uh, like the the composition of it, and came back and wrote another one to supplement it later on. Might be the case, but the Psalm, if we consider it together as as one. It really is in three parts. Some suggest four parts, but I'm going to say that it's in three parts. There is in each of the three parts a similar structure. There is a lament. There is an opening of of despair, of desperation, as the psalmist uh, expresses his his longing to be closer to the Lord. And then there are some some questions that are raised in each section as. The psalmist continues to develop his thoughts, questions about why this distance, why does God seem so far from him, and each of the three sections concludes with this similar refrain. Let's just read it in verse 5 before we read the psalm. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, O my God. Beginning of verse 6. That same refrain, or very similar wording to that refrain, repeats itself uh, at the end of the, each of the three sections. In verse 11 of, of chapter 42, Psalm 42, and in verse 5 of Psalm 43. So those are the concluding sections. Each time he comes back to this refrain Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance. And my God. Notice the repeated lines that we see in the Psalm. Well, before we, we look at those, let's, let's read this, the two Psalms together. To the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance, O my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mazar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song will be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and please my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For you are the God of my strength, why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill, to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So as I mentioned, we can see this psalm in three parts, each of them concluding with this refrain where the psalmist questions himself and challenges himself with regard to why his soul is cast down. But there are also some repeated lines that we see in the psalm. We see this, the line repeated that the psalmist sees his opposition and his adversaries mocking him with the question, Where is your God? comes up in verse three and it's repeated again in verse 10. Or the line, Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? We see that in verse nine and we see it again in chapter 43 and verse Two, why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. And then we have the repeating of this refrain. So there is this, this, uh, this uh, structure to the psalm. The psalm progresses in thought as you carry on, if we consider it as one psalm. It progresses in thought. It begins in the first section, uh, verses 1 to 5, really in a, an expression of desperation as the psalmist despairs of his of his situation. But it moves on to include an expression of faith in God. Despite his despair, there is faith in section 2, verses 6 to 11. And then when we come to the third section, which we'll consider to be Psalm 43, we find hope coming to the forefront. And so we have a progression from desperation to faith to hope. Let's think about the desperation. How can a person that desires God's presence experience alienation from him? You might wonder that. We would think that if we are longing to have God's presence with us, that that we should be near to him, that he would be near to us. And yet, clearly, that wasn't the case for the psalmist. With such vivid language, he, he expresses his despair at the distance from God. He thirsts for God. His soul pants after God. That word pant that we read in verse 1, describing the panting of a deer that is thirsting for water, desperately needing water. It's used only three times in the Old Testament in Hebrew. Twice here in this verse once more in the book of Joel, each time referring to an animal needing water desperately. The psalmist's soul is what is thirsting. His soul is thirsting for God, for the living God, and so he is desperate. His tears are described as his food in a great hyperbole. We see a similar language in Psalm 80. He is the pouring out of his soul. This is an expression in verse 4. Where he pours out his soul and it's an expression, expression of the intensity of the emotions that he is feeling. So in each of these three sections, we see this expression of despair. We see the use of questions by the psalmists to to bring out his points and his consideration. Each of the sections we see something of the cause of his despair. And in each of these sections, as I say, we see the refrain that comes forward. The questions that are raised. I'm not going to go through this psalm verse by verse, but rather I want to consider the the three elements that I mentioned with regard to this psalm. I want to think about the causes of despair, the intervention of faith, Secondly, and thirdly, how the psalmist finds relief in hope. Despair, faith, and hope. These come out in these three sections. They, they all really come out in each of the sections, but the first seems to concentrate more on the despair, the second more on the faith, and the third more on the hope that comes from them. So what are the causes of the Despair. Well, in verse 3, we have the taunting of the enemies as he cries out, Where is your God? We see that in verse 3 and verse 10. Interestingly, part of his despair comes, secondly, from his memories. In verse 4, he talks about what he remembers. He remembers the days of old when he used to go to the house of God and when he enjoyed times of joy and praise. When there was great pilgrimages to Jerusalem, he remembers the feasts the Passover and Feast of Tabernacles and the three great feasts of Israel when they would journey to Jerusalem and great celebration and joy. He remembers those times, but his memory of those times are not now bringing him joy, they're bringing him despair. His memories bring him despair, number two. Thirdly, the distance brings him despair. Verse 6 talks about the fact that he is far from Jerusalem, far from the capital. I would remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mazar. He's apparently some distance away from the friendship and fellowship and family and the worship of his God and the sacrifice of Jerusalem. And that distance in itself is causing him despair. Fourthly, we have the oppression. The oppression of the enemy. We see it, for example, in verse 7, your waves and your billows have gone over me. He cries. Why do I go mourning in verse 9? He says, because of the oppression of the enemy. We see that again in, in the next in the next section in chapter 43 he speaks of the breaking of his bones and the reproach of his enemies in verse 10 these are causing him despair in chapter 43 in verse 2 he goes mourning because of the oppression of the enemy once again and so there is this oppression that is that is causing him to be in this state of mind fifthly lastly we notice this—a state of ungodliness around him—is causing him despair. Chapter 43 and verse 1: "Vindicate me, O God, and please my, plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man," he says. So he has these inputs in his life that are causing his state of mind, causing him to be in a state of despair. And it's worth taking note of these because I suggest to you that we all can face these similar things in our lives. And all of these things can burden our minds and our hearts and might cause us to fall into a state of despair as did the psalmist here. The taunting that goes on by people around us, ridicule, Number one. Number two, memories of better times. Isn't it, isn't it odd that memories can be such a refreshing to us? We can think back to memories that we had and they can be a great joy and encouragement to us, but it is also true that sometimes those memories bring us pain. Even memories of good times bring us pain if we're not experiencing these times now. We wonder why. why what has changed? Why is it so different? Distance from those that we love, from the work of the Lord that we have been involved with in the past, distance from fellowship can cause us pain, oppression, things in our lives that are causing us grief or difficulty, maybe physical problems, maybe health problems, other, other problems. The oppression causes us despair at times in life and certainly. Sometimes the ungodliness of the world around us can cause us to despair. So as the psalmist had these experiences of despair, so, so we too sometimes in our lives. Secondly, I want to look at the intervention of faith. How does the psalmist respond to this despair that he feels in his life? Well, he responds in a way that we we need to take note of. First of all, he, he recognizes who... God is, my soul pants for you, O God. There's all, even a progression even in the first two verses. He calls God, uh, he calls him God, Elohim to start with, and then he says in verse 2, the living God. He recognizes him as the living God. And then he says in verse 2 that he wants to come and appear before the face of God. Literally the word there would be that he wants to appear before the countenance or the face of God wants to see God's face. He recognizes the personal nature of God. In verse 6, he recognizes him as my God. In verse 8, he goes further and says that he is the God of my life. And in verse 9, he recognizes him as God, my rock. And In chapter 43 in verse 2, he refers to him as the God of my strength. And as the psalm goes on... We see this progression in his understanding, in his appreciation, in his recognition, or perhaps best put, in his acknowledgement of who God is. So in times of despair, we are wise to think about who God is and recognize what he is to us. It will help us in these times of difficulty. Then we notice this, too, that he maintained communication with God. Despite his his anguish, your heart, and uh, the condition that he was in, he didn't stop reaching out and speaking to God. Despite that he felt distance, he continued talking to God. The, The psalm itself is a prayer to God. And so he continues his Discussion with God. Verse 8 in particular, he says, I will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So in his anguish and in his despair, he continued to sing to the Lord. He continued to pray to the Lord. And we would be wise to take note of that. These are important for us when we feel distance from God. One of the commentators suggested that there is a very pleasant irony in verse 9. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Even as he cries out that God has forgotten him, he is nonetheless reaching out and speaking to him. As he speaks to God, he has to understand that God then has not completely forgotten him if he's able to speak with him. Third thing that he does is that he challenges his own thinking. Just think of this refrain. Verse 9: Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Chapter 43 and verse 9 or 5. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance, my God. It's, it's a little refrain that he keeps repeating over in his mind. Though he is feeling despair, he needs to shake himself. And recognize that God is there. And ask himself, why are you so cast down, my soul? And so he challenges his own thinking, his own way of life through this refrain. And then lastly note this, that he draws on the reality of his past experience with God. He draws on the reality of his past experience. He he draws on the fact that God has been rich to him in the past that he has praised God in the past, that he has known the presence of God in the past, that he has known the countenance of God in the past. Thirdly, we'll close up quickly here with this. The, The psalmist finds relief in hope. Relief in hope. Hope leads the psalmist away from despair. We see hope in a number of ways. We see hope in the anticipation of the countenance of God. This three times repeated refrain has this statement in it, the help of my countenance and my God, the help of my countenance. The word help is the word that is most often translated or often translated salvation, the salvation of my countenance. He appreciates and anticipates that God is going to rescue him. God is going to save him from this situation. God is going to restore him and redeem him. And he uses strong language, the word salvation. God is going to save him. It is God's face, God's countenance that's going to save him. And he looks forward in hope to that. Secondly, he has the anticipation of restored praise and worship. He anticipates the day, looks forward in hope to the day when he will praise God once again and sound praises in his presence. He has the anticipation of receiving light and truth from God in chapter 43, Psalm 43, verse 3. Send out your light and your truth. They Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. He anticipates the light and the truth of God coming to him, and then he anticipates worship, fellowship, and praise. In chapter 43 and verse four, I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. And so we have this, this wonderful progression as this psalm goes on from despair to faith. Despite the despair, he exercises faith. And from that we see hope and restoration. There's a great quote by Willem van Guren that I wanted to say with regard to this psalm. He He wrote this concerning this psalm. There is no voice from God to the psalmist. In the loneliness of alienation, his faith was tried and triumphed. Faith and doubt are twins, and when doubt seemed to triumph, true faith calmed its questions. Faith answered. I thought that was a good summary of what we see as this psalm progression. When God is not near, we sometimes feel that God is not near. But faith assures us that the problem is really in our own hearts. Like Joshua, God has given us a promise that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us. the, The promise that was given to Joshua is, of course, repeated for believers in Christ in the book of Hebrews. Be content with such things as you have, Hebrews 13 and 5. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord says to his disciples, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We know that God will never leave us, that God is always with us. Sometimes we might feel that earth's distance. It isn't because God is not near. And we can take encouragement from psalms like this, to shake ourselves, to challenge our thinking, to recognize that God is near. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God.